Hi guys, I have to tell you about this amazing event that we're sponsoring and is a, we're a part of. It's called Attune by Living Holy and my good friend Jenny Emblem, who you can listen to in this feed, her uh, Sunday School episode is called Attune, is hosting the most amazing, beautiful event right outside of Atlanta, November 8th through 11th. It's a four-day wellness experience to optimize health from the inside out. She's featuring amazing inspirational speakers, interactive workshops, immersion in nature. Let me tell you some of these names. The Elizabeth Gilbert. Can you believe it? Eat, pray, love. Elizabeth Gilbert, Gabby Bernstein, Sierra Rose, Shaman Durek, John Wineland. The list goes on and on about these amazing speakers and authors and just motivational individuals. It is uh, located in Serenby. And Serenby, if you haven't been there, it's a mystical urban utopia. I mean, it's incredible, guys. There's acres of forests and meadows and nature trails. Uh, there's going to be amazing fresh food and clean air. And you get to just immerse yourself in your own well-being and attune yourself to you to nature, to each other. It's going to be such an incredible experience and I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. So if you live in Atlanta, you should definitely stop by at least for a day, if not the whole thing. The website is attune by living holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y.com. And then people are flying from all over the country to attend this event. So if you're not in Atlanta and you're one of our listeners, somewhere else in the country. The Atlanta airport is pretty close to this event. Fly in, easy breezy, head to Serenby. You are not going to want to miss this event. If you come, look for us. We're going to have a mini modern mystic shop and we're going to be doing readings and stuff. So uh, again, a tune by livingholy.com uh, and you're not going to want to miss this incredible opportunity. Welcome back to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. My name is Kelly Knight, and this week I have three roles for you. I am, yes, the host of this podcast. I am also the owner of Modern Mystic Shop. And lastly, I am the presenter today. And usually when I teach a Sunday School class, I have someone else do the intro. But this time, I really wanted to share sort of my motivation and sort of how I went about teaching you guys my tarot cheat sheet, which is basically teaching you how to learn 40 cards of the minor arcana in the tarot deck in 60 minutes, which is super ambitious. So I just wanted to jump on before the class started and just to say, I have to go really, really fast. What's most important is that you understand the concepts of this tarot grid that I'm talking about that I've developed. That'll get you really far. And so it's very important for this podcast to do a few things. Number one, click on the description and make sure that you click the link to get the downloadable materials. You can get the whole presentation that I'm teaching from and then my tarot grid and even more of this little worksheets that I created for my Tarot 101 class. 
Second, it's on a podcast, so you can listen and re-listen as much as you want. So even though I'm going about a million miles per hour, you can kind of slow your roll, you can pause it, you can re-listen, and that'll be that. So hopefully you guys can really get what you need from this from this short, short episode. Lastly, we're doing a very special discount. So I have my Tarot 101 home study, and this is sort of like a tiny percentage of a super speedy part of my whole Tarot 101 curriculum. However, if you go to our website or if you click on the link that describes this episode, you can be led to the Tarot 101 home study and you can get it for 25% off if you use the code Sunday School as one word. And so if this is interesting to you, but you want to go slower and deeper and you want to hear my take on also the court cards and the major arcana, you can head over to our website. You will have the similar printed materials, but you can hear my take on it. And then also on the last recording, I bring in a special guest, another well-known tarot reader to give her take on tarot reading. So you have about six hours of watching my virtual classroom when I taught this Tarot 101 remotely. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Oh, and the last thing I wanted to mention is at the end of this podcast, so you'll be listening into the whole class. And then at the end, I'm going to be leading you guys through a meditation. There was not enough time to get to this meditation within the 60 minutes. But this is a really important meditation that I've created to help me and help you guys get into a neutral space before pulling tarot cards. So you can just, uh, if you were live in the class and you just wanted to get to the meditation, feel free to just fast forward to that part and please listen to the meditation and as many times as you need as part of your ritual for reading tarot. And then after a while, and I practice this meditation regularly, then you get a sense of what that neutral space feels like and you can kind of click into it without necessarily having to go through the whole meditation. But until you build that muscle, this is a great way to be guided through. So without further ado, (laughs) I'd love to introduce myself. Uh, And this is my Sunday school teaching on my tarot cheat sheet, how to learn 40 cards in 60 minutes. Thank you. I feel like Kirsten should teach this class. That was such an awesome introduction to what we're doing here. Um, So first, I just want to mention again, and this is for people who are listening, this is going to be recorded as a podcast. So if you have a deck that you like to work with and you'd like to follow along with your deck, we're only going to be working with the minors. So there's 40 cards. You can take away the majors and the court cards. So the majors are going to be the ones that say star, tower, death. I don't know why. And some other great ones, like the Empress. We're going to move those to the side. And then anything that says, like, King, Queen, Page, or Knight, you can eliminate those. And then divide the the remaining cards um, by suit. So you want all of the same suit. And then ones will be on the, aces will be on the top all the way to 10. And you can do that while I'm talking, because it's not rude. And I'll do a little bit of an introduction. Um, I've been teaching this Tarot 101 workshop for about four years, and this is a a small segment of what I teach in that longer workshop. And I was in Miami a couple of years ago getting ready to teach this, and I was having breakfast at the hotel, and the gentleman said to me, 
what are you, you know what are you doing here you know and I said well I'm here to teach a tarot workshop and he said are you a tarot reader and I said yeah he said that seems to me to be a really dumb business model <laughs> he said you're teaching people a skill that you offer them as a service and that seems like a pretty fast way to get out of business and I could see his point to a degree, but what I'm here to do, what this space is here to provide, is to share information so that you guys can be your own readers, healers, shamans, and everything in this experience is designed that way. That's how we create opportunities and classes and products in the store. And so we're here to share. We're here to Ha allow a space for you guys to empower yourself to get your own answers because there's nothing that you don't have access to. And sure, you know, I get readings myself because sometimes you're so embroiled in whatever it is that you're trying to discern that it helps to have an outside perspective. But for day-to-day -day use and for your daily decisions, you guys hold all the answers. It's in the cards for you to do so. So that's why I'm here teaching you how to use this modality that has been so healing and um, life-changing for me. So I'm going to go over some tarot basics before we jump into the cheat sheet. So what is tarot? And also, if you have questions, please interrupt me. Otherwise, I can't often tell if you're like into it. <laughs> like, just let me know if you have questions. So before I go to read with a client for the first time, I show them the deck and I say, and this is my interpretation of what tarot is. These are 78 different human experiences and archetypes. So that's all these are. They're depictions of all of these life experiences that no one can escape, that we've all been through, that we all experience moment to moment, day to day, year to year. So that's really all it is in my interpretation. And so it's very easy to relate to them. You know, they're images and humans, like we really respond to what we see in our environment. We respond to television and we respond to artwork. And so it's a physical representation of these archetypes and all of these experiences. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's also a mirror of our own inner and outer experiences many, many times when I read for clients or I'm reading for myself, it's a reflection. It's a reflection of a period of time. It's a reflection about what's going on inside of me or externally. And so tarot is an, ex is an amazing mirror. And it can be used in that way very, very profoundly. Also, I do believe, and this is sort of where the magic comes in, it's a tool to connect to our higher selves and to spirit. And I actually have, you know, a lot of clients throughout the years who were Christian, let's say, and maybe were raised to, you know, not think that tarot was, was appropriate or moral. But to me, it's like, okay, this is a means to get that information from this higher power, whoever that is to you. And that's where I think the magic comes in, is when the cards that come out are so incredibly accurate and so profound because that's the secret sauce to it just being like a deck of playing cards is that intention and connection to something higher that you can actually have a very uh, representative way to communicate with spirit, with your higher self. So that's how I explain tarot. Does that, is that in alignment with sort of some of your experiences with it? Yeah, it's super cool. I'm still, I get 
in so much awe still. Like, I've done thousands of readings, and I, if anyone has a reading with me, I get so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, because it's so magical and accurate. It's, it's pretty incredible. So how does tarot work? Does anyone have a guess of how it works before I give my, no? Okay. Okay, so I think tarot works, number one, with intention. So we are intending to use this paper with these images to have a profound experience, to gain guidance, to gain wisdom. So that's our intention. And that being said, you can use this intention with almost anything and create a means to getting signs and divination with, with anything. And you see it. People read palms, people tea leaves, whatever. This just happens to be what I have found to be a very clear divination tool when I use it with that intention. Next, I believe in my experience for the sort of mystical side of tarot that we're actually clicking in and plugging in to this universal consciousness that we all have access to. It's this flow of information. And I'm pointing kind of up high because that's what it feels like. And it feels like with the tarot, I'm able to click in and plug into that, and then the information kind of comes through these cards. So that's sort of, so you set your intention to connect with this universal consciousness through the cards. And then I also think tarot works because you will develop a personal connection with the cards and its language. So I learned reading uh, with the Native American tarot deck. We sell it here. And I read with that deck for over five years. And how I would use it, and maybe you guys use your first deck this way sometimes, where you pull the cards, and you open your guidebook, and then you try to figure out what the cards mean, and then you go back to the reading. So it's not really a connective, fluid process. It's more of a study. And that's how I found that deck to be. But I used it because my teacher used it, and everyone I knew used it, and that was sort of the language. However, when I was introduced to the, um, well, now the writer weight, but the wild unknown, it connected to me so specifically that the information and the intuition came on board, and I didn't have to use a book anymore. They came to life. They became animated. They were telling me a story almost effortlessly. And that's sort of when it clicked into me to say, okay, each tarot deck has a different energy and a different language. And it's your job to find the one that speaks your language. And if it wasn't for being introduced to this deck kind of synchronistically, who knows if any of this would have come to be because I wasn't really bridging the gap between it being a study and an intuitive process. And that's why when I teach this full class, I actually don't uh, recommend that my students use guidebooks for like 30 or 60 days after the class. Because it's my goal here to give you guys enough information to get you into the ballpark of the card meanings so that your mind can relax and not have to worry about being right or wrong. And then you can allow the intuition to come in to really guide the deeper meanings. That's how I do it, and that's how it's worked really well for me. You can't just, well, you can. You can do whatever you want, actually. But I don't recommend just reading in tarot intuitively at first because our minds are tricky. And if you don't have a general understanding of what the cards mean, you can make them say literally anything, right? And I'm sure you've done that before. You're like, well, it could mean. It's like, no, girl. That's probably not what it means in this case. So we're trying to get you the baseline knowledge 
so that you can relax and bring your intuition and really fuse it together because that's, to me, where the magic really happens. Now, there are people that don't have this like sort of more metaphysical understanding of tarot. Uh, therapists use tarot as a way to sort of uncover what's going on in the psyche because if you look at a card, there's so many symbols and what your psyche kind of picks out is information of the hundreds of symbols and colors that are going on. So you can use it that way. But for our purposes, since we are modern mystics, we have more of a metaphysical slant. Do we have any questions about the first two subjects here? Nope. Okay. So what is tarot used for? Is anyone here using tarot currently, regularly? Cool. What do you use it for? Insight. Insight? Yeah. 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 Awesome. What about you? You raised your hand. Oh, good to see you. Yeah. What do you use it for? Okay. For clients? Yeah. Personal guidance. Anyone have a different reason for using them? Just curious. Making decisions, yes. I'm a very practical person, and so I and I love to guide my clients and myself through a decision-making process through using the cards, for sure. So you guys hit on a lot of this: um, personal growth, guidance, practical choices, and matters. This is, these are like the main sort of bullet points of how I think tarot can be most readily used. So examples would be. Okay, I'm standing at this crossroads. I can go, go with option B, I'm sorry, option A or option B. Let's pull some cards to see what the energy are, like, holds for each of those paths. And then once you get that information, you can make a, a better decision. Or if your heart was set on path A, but the cards are looking like path B is better, you can follow up with the cards to say, okay, are there any steps I could take to make um, to help path A have the outcome that I desire. You can ask the cards literally anything. And any question that comes to mind, you can ask. And when you pull those cards, if another question comes to mind, you can pull to ask that question. And that's how I build my spreads really is, I start with three cards and then ask more questions and then we build it and to see the fuller picture. It's also a reflection. This is, this is like to me like the pro way to use tarot for yourself and it's freaky because it's basically what is happening under my level of awareness. So like I'm in this situation, I'm feeling really triggered and upset and scared. My mind is saying, you know, I'm upset because of X, Y, and Z, but let's take a step back and let's ask the cards, what is it that I'm not seeing that's impacting me so, so much in this moment? And this is, I say it's scary because usually our bodies or our minds rejects what comes up because it's under our level of conscious awareness. And so we're bringing our unconscious into the conscious. And if it was ready to be in the conscious, it probably already would have been. So that's like a self-psychology for yourself. And then a meditation or a daily message, especially for new readers, what I recommend is every morning pull a card and ask the card, you know, what's my message today? Then I recommend you look at the card and you journal about what you think that it means without looking at a book. Then you sort of can read a book if you want or actually use our cheat sheet that you'll be leaving here today with to figure out, okay, I gave my intuitive reading. Now what would the data say? Like what would the book say could be the, the, the message for this card? Then you write that down. 
Then you spend your whole day thinking about that card and seeing how it actually manifests in the 3D. Like, how are you engaging with these energies in real life? Because I learned through experience, and most people do. So if you have, like, this, this specific energy that you're supposed to learn from that day, you can even take a picture and make it your screen on your cell phone and see how you're actually engaging with it. Then, that night, you can actually go back to your journal and write the ways in which you've engaged with that card. This takes it from just a piece of paper with symbols to you having like a body and sensory experience of what the sign is or what the meaning is, and you will never forget what that card means ever again. And if you do this every day for a number of days, I mean, I doubt if just 78 days you'll get, you'll never get a repeat card, let's say, but if you do this for several months, you will experience every single card of the deck in a very, very real way. So people also ask me a lot about using tarot for yes-no questions. For beginners, I don't recommend using it for yes-no questions. Um, well, we can talk more about spreads and stuff, but I like to keep it more open-ended. So it's like, should I go to the movies today, yes or no? That kind of like puts a stop to the inquiry a little bit, but you can say, okay, show me the impact of me going to the movies versus me staying at home. And then you can look at both sides, and then you can actually make a choice. I find that to be a little bit more empowered way to approach it, instead of letting the card sort of determine yes, no, what you do. Now, that to say, there are readers who are experts at doing yes, no polls with tarot. So um, there's not, I'm not saying that that's not the right way. But especially for beginners, you'll get more learning from keeping it more open-ended. Any questions? Yes, no? OK. Cool. Okay. And then I'm going to skip through how to start a reading for now because after we go through the beginning, um, we go through actually the meat of this class, I'm going to go back to that, how to get yourself in that aligned space so that you're pulling from this neutral space within yourself as opposed to being attached to the outcome or having your past experience influence how it is that you read the cards. So we'll just kind of blow by that. All right. So, let's break down a tarot deck. So we've got the major arcana. So these, like Kirsten was saying, these get all the shine. Everyone's like very familiar with this imagery. If you're watching a TV show and they're like pulling tarot cards, it's usually gonna be focused on one of these, one of these or a few of these cards. These, in my opinion, uh, reflect some major major arcana, like major uh, phases in life, the energies of these cards typically stick around for a while. It shows part of like a longer arc of your spirit and your soul and your purpose. So when I do pull one of these cards, I don't take it lightly. But we're not focusing these today on these today because people don't have as much of a hard time reading these cards. So I want to uh, deal with the minor. So then we have the minor arcana. So they're ace through 10, which is what we're going to focus on today. But then also the court cards. And so when I teach you this sort of grid system that I've developed, you can very easily use what I've taught you about ace through 10 to learn the court cards in the same manner. I'm not sure how much time we'll have today. I really want to focus on these 40 cards, but it's very easy to apply it to those cards as well. 
So what we'll learn today is my tarot grid. So what I learned when I was trying to memorize all of these cards was that if you learn the energy of the suits, so if you know what pentacles represent, swords, etc., and you learn the tarot numerology, which is slightly different than conventional numerology, you can cross-reference the number with the suit and get very close, if not exactly, to the meaning of the card. Have you guys thought about that before? It was like, like when I learned that, when I figured that out, I was like, oh my gosh, that way I really only need to learn 14 different things and then I learn 40 cards in the deck, which is pretty amazing. So we're gonna, and this is like my secret recipe. <laughs> so we're gonna learn the energy and the meaning of the suits, the energy and meanings of numbers one through 10 and learn through this grid system instead of memorization. Um, the grid, you should have one if you don't, we can um, pass you one. And then also, if you guys listen back to this or you lose your sheet, we will have this on the podcast on our page, on our website. You can download the same material. So the top page you're not going to use today, that's for you to be able to make your own notes because you're going to come up with your own associations for these cards as well. The second page is going to be your reference guide that sort of surmises what we're covering today. And you can just use that one guide or as you start to write your own notes in it. And this can be such a handy sheet for you. You might not ever have to go into a book again if you wanna be more of an intuitive reader. Now there are readers who love to study, you know, 50 pages per card about what they mean and what they could be. That's also very cool. Um, but this is more to help you get into an intuitive and less academic understanding of what these cards mean. Questions? Awesome. Okay, so the suits of the tarot. First, we're gonna talk about the pentacles, and I'll give you some of my, like, I have some cheesy associations sometimes, so, okay. So the pentacle here is a circle, and it kinda looks like a coin, right? And it also, what else is a circle? Like, the earth is a circle, right? So the pentacles represent earth. They represent things to do with career or money, the material world, very tangible, tangible experiences, prosperity, your physical body. So if you were to think of, we talk a lot about mind, body, spirit. This would be the body of the mind, body, spirit, you know, emotion sort of spectrum. And um, I don't go into it too much, but sometimes people do forecasting with tarot as far as timelines. So uh, the, and I don't use it that much, but I include it. So it would represent years. So if you were to pull the ace of pentacles for a time question, it would mean one year. 10 of pentacles, 10 years. Um, most of the time people don't want the 10 of pentacles for that kind of pull if you want something to happen, you know, more, more quickly. And so anything to do with these areas of life. So when you're reading and you pull a pentacle, you at least now know, okay, we're dealing with my tangible physical reality. That's, that's half the battle right there, to know what you're talking about or what the cards are leaning you to, to focus on. Next, we have the Ace of Swords. So something you notice about a sword that helped me remember was swords are sharp. And that's what you call someone who's smart, right? Like, oh, that girl's really sharp. Like, she knows what's going on, right? So swords represent the element of air, but it's the, it's the suit of the mind. And that's why these cards, usually as we go through, they're kind of gnarly because really, usually, our physical reality is actually okay. We torture ourselves with our minds and our thoughts and our fears. 
So it can represent intelligence, our mental processes, our thoughts, beliefs, conflicts, and change. So conflict, because we do tend to hold our conflicts in our, in our mental space. And this is all, for the most part, should be the top, if you follow along, the top of your grid. Also, you can listen to this back. If I'm going too fast, you can listen to it a million times. So uh, swords are the suit of the mind. And then for time, it's months. So 10 months, two months, etc. And then we have the wands. This represents fire. So this has to do with your inspiration, your creativity, your spirituality, your intuition, new ideas, your higher purpose. So mind, body, spirit. We've got mind would be um, swords, body would be earth, and spirit would be fire. And, you know, if any of you guys are into astrology and you know the signs that are associated with these elements, it's very similar. You can very easily convert that knowledge into this framework and you've got a head start. And then lastly, oh, action and then times, it's weeks. And then we have cups. Cups represents the element of water. This is really your emotional body. So it's emotions, love, relationships, creativity. And I'm going to, I'll talk to you between about the difference in the creativity kind of tone between the wands and the cups. Um, artistic nature, it represents days in the timeline. But the difference between, usually, between the cups kind of creativity and the wands, cups tends to be more fine art, um, and then wands is broad creativity. So, you know, if you are solving a, like a, a work problem and you have to be creative, and, or if you are, sort of the difference between like, let's say like a painter, and like a rock star, kind of like on stage, is very creative, but it's like an, in a different kind of tone. It's very, it's like a subtle difference, um, but just wanted to mention, because sometimes people get caught up with that. So these are the suits that we're gonna be working with. So do we have any questions or is anything unclear before we move to the numbers? Yeah, Kalani? Oh, we're not going to address, address a reversal. So she asked about reversals. I personally rarely read reversals. I believe that you can actually get all of the information that you need with the cards. There are many other readers, most readers probably do address um, reversals. However, I recommend if you're a beginner, get really, really familiar with these 78 cards before you read reversals because reversals can literally add like 10, 20, 30 different takes on the card. In general, when I shuffle, I, I try to organize my deck so that reversals won't come up. But when I shuffle and I'm pulling, I'm, I'm setting the intention that we're not going to read reversals and I'll flip them upright or just kind of keep them there. Um, if you're going to read reversals, the easiest way would be to see it as a stuck energy. So it's like if the Ace of Cups right here that we just talked about means like an open-heartedness and ready to receive new, you know, emotional connection. If it's upside down, it might mean that there's a block to that and then you can pull what steps might I need to take to get this back upright. That's a quick, that's a quick way. Yeah. Yeah. So just to review the creativity with wands and cups, and it's not usually, I will even say that creativity isn't even the strongest association with either, either um, suit. However, if you think about the kind of creativity that you would exhibit 
out of fire and passion. It might be more unbridled. It might be less strategic. It's like, I'm going to go and like just throw the pain and roll around, you know, or express it more extemporaneously. Whereas the creativity perhaps around the water or the cups might be more refined. Like a high, not, I don't want to say like a higher level as in better, but like a symphony, you know, as opposed to like a rock band jamming out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so she was saying, yeah, Juan's more out of the box. I'm just repeating. Yeah, and so Cups is more like a, ref yeah, artist, like more trained potentially. Um, but I will say that's not, people do get hung up on that. Um, it's not, like I said, the most common expression of these suits necessarily. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you're welcome. Any other questions about, you got to get these down because it's like the whole basis of the rest of it. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the aces. So if you have your own aces, you can kind of look at them side by side. I've been using the wild unknown as my, um, you know, example cards here. So aces are kind of like the, the, the um, interpretation of the aces is very similar to the flat out interpretation of the, of the um, suit because it's just the first level of that suit, and so it's very similar to how I've explained each of them. But the difference is, the ace is like the seed of it, the potential of it. It's the, it's the first step, or something's about to happen in that area. Does that make sense? So like the ace of pentacles could represent, okay, call back, pentacles represent, tell me one thing. Earth, great, anything, uh, anything else? Sorry? The body, prosperity, cool. So this could represent, let's say, prosperity, a new stream of revenue coming, a new job, a new career. Um, your physical reality, it could represent maybe a new home. Maybe you're trying, or something like that, or a new place. So, you know, things in that physical realm. And so, for example, then in the Ace of Swords, it could be like a new idea or insight where there's so much clarity. You're like, I'm going that way. That's what's up. And if you also think about the ones as um, people, let's say, so like the one is you solitarily, one energy. So it's more directed. There's no compromise. One is one. Um, so the Ace of Cups could represent a new heart opening, a new relationship, a new uh, emotional kind of like starting over. It's this cup that's ready to be filled. Um, the Ace of Wands could be the potential of something like a new passion, a new spiritual practice, a new spontaneous, you know, happening that would really get your blood flowing. But where it gets more complicated is when you, if you think about the Aces as you as an individual, now imagine you in partnership with someone. There's two of you. It doesn't even have to be romantic partnership, just generally. So when you have two, you have duality and you've got another energy to contend with. And those energies could be harmonious. So two could be a harmonious pairing, or it can cause sort of conflict or a little bit of stuckness if they're two different, you know, do two different ideas or two different kinds of people. So an example of, so twos represent balance, duality, and like I said, the dynamic, uh, dynamics between two parties or energies. So for example, in the two of cups, this is a harmonious pairing. This is you 
running into somebody and making a new friendship and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a kindred spirit. We're so connected right off the bat. I feel like I've known this person my whole life, right? Whereas maybe the two of swords would be more of a conflict. This could be the suit of, swords is the suit of the what? Mine. And so this could be two conflicting ideas, two conflicting thoughts where it's like you can't even see where you're going because the, it's the two is in an oppositional position. Does that make sense? Whereas, you know, the two of pentacles, again, that is, that's usually a card of balance. There's like this flow. So it could be like um, you and a work associate and you guys are really driving together and you're getting stuff done and it's like a reciprocal relationship and you're working well together. Um, the two of wands is one of my favorite cards, actually. The two of wands shows the duality. To me, I always see it as like you're divided between these two passions or one is a passion and maybe one's the safe. So most of the time, like in the Rider Waite, it's someone on the shore and there's something far away with the water, but you've got to say, okay, am I going to stay on the shore where I'm comfortable and I'm used to it or am I going to follow my passion and, and brave the waters maybe even not knowing where I'm going? Usually, this card is saying, get on the boat, you know, follow that passion. But it shows you sort of the, the, di the, the dichotomy of what's presented before you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm going real fast. Usually, this takes like a whole weekend. <laughs> All right. So then we get to the threes. So if you think about it, we went from two. So you and a partner, let's say, and then you bring, like you have a baby, let's say. And then there's three to deal with, right? There's three different energies to juggle. The two, you know, there was a give and take. And, you know, even if you came to a conflict, it's pretty easy to unravel. But with three, it usually, it just emphasizes the energy of, like, the three is a real dominant. There's three separate energies here. It represents the first level of, at of attainment and a sense of pause. So also, if you think about, like, again, my cheesy examples, but if you think about one as a unicycle, you got to keep moving or you're going to fall over. Same with a bicycle, right? Two wheels, you got to keep going. But when you get to a tricycle, you can just chill and you're not going to topple over. So it's that first, finally, that first level of stability where you can like take a break and you're like, okay, we've got a little bit of a foundation here. Now, sometimes, again, with this group of three, I will say with the three of pentacles, it very often literally refers to a group of three people. And when I read for people, I, would, I will ask, like in the context of the reading, are there two other people that you're thinking of when I'm talking about this? Seems like you and two other folks, and they're like, yes, actually. Um, and so it's a card of teamwork, of these three people like laying this good foundation um, and this basis where you can kind of rest a little bit into the other people because it's all being covered. You're not the one that's having to keep kicking the ball down the field by yourself. But then the group of three gets a little complicated with the three of swords. Because let's just say the third isn't a child and you're in a relationship with someone and the third's like another partner or a lover. And it's a card of like betrayal and a card of feeling like backstabbed. In that case, maybe the three for some people wouldn't feel so good. But what's amazing, you, it, it often looks like love, like a love issue with the three of swords, but it's the suit of the mind, right? So really, even if it's showing up in your reality, you're torturing yourself 
by being obsessed with it, by, you know, focusing on the betrayal and not sort of getting yourself out of that situation. Um, the Three of Cups often indicates... Um, it's, a, it's called the celebration card. So it's like, a, it's like an uplifting card, you and your girlfriends getting a drink and celebrating you know, your achievement at happy hour, um, something like that. But it's really like a, a harmonious three. Um, most of the times you see like three ladies just like, cheers. It's, really sweet. it's really a sweet card. Um, but then the three, this is where it gets like a little bit different as far as the group of three, but the three of wands. It's really that time where you can hold your own vision, and that's the rest. The rest is sort of like, okay, I've gotten to this three place. What do I see for myself for the long haul? Because if you remember the two was sort of deciding which path, you've decided the path and you've gotten there, and now you're like, what's next? I also want to pause because that reminds me because I referred to the two. The reason why it's really important to learn the series of the numerology is because say you pull a two, you now know what the two means that's showing up, but you know where it's coming from, from the one, and you know where it's going. So you're getting three times the information by understanding where you are in the arc of the numerology. That's super crucial when you're reading. It gives you so much more information. I'm gonna check our time. Oh man, we got 23 minutes, let's kick it. All right. All right, so then we hit to the, to the four. So I might not go into every single four. I'm going to go into the, like, you guys get the theme here, right? Okay. So with the four, this is a more stable, even more stable than the three. So it's sort of like um, a four-wheeler, you know, that's more stable than a tricycle. Um, it's the realization of the goal. And then the, the tricky part is, though, a four is actually just two twos. So you get back into that polarity again. Um, which is kind of interesting, right? Because it's like, I don't know if anyone's been in a family of four, or it's like the kids can kind of team up against mom and dad, or like they split, you know what I mean? It's like mom and this one, and dad and this one, and you still have that sort of polarity or duality within that four. Um, I will say like a misunderstood card of the fours that I might mention might be the four of swords. Um, if you think about the swords as the suit of the mind, in, all of, in a lot of the other depictions, the swords are active. Like they're on the ground, they're using the swords, you're seeing the swords. In this case, usually the swords are hung on the wall. And so that is actually a card of meditation and mental stability. That's the stability because the swords aren't in action. You can lay your swords on the wall and actually ah, breathe, take a moment. Yes. Yeah. Oh, she asked about the four of one and twin flame. Could be. I'm not going to say no. It hasn't come up for me in that way. It, it, well, I guess in the sense of marriage. Yeah. So I guess I wouldn't. I, you're right. Because it is the card that really does indicate oftentimes marriage or big milestones, um, like graduations, big, huge celebrations. So yes, it could be twin flame. I usually... I guess I'm a little more conventional in how I've been trained to think of it. Well, in the right way, it's the wand, the wand. Yeah. Right, and so it's the 11-11. Got it. But in this deck, it's not that way, so it's a little different, but. Yeah, she was saying, like, in the right or there's those four poles, and then there's, like, that wedding ceremony uh, underneath the poles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. 
So here we have the fives. One way that you can remember the fives is, the fives will eat you alive. <laughs> the fives are rough, y'all. The fives, there's really rarely ever like a ah, moment with the fives. So the fives, if you're thinking about it, we're going from one to 10, so it's the halfway point. And sometimes, you know, when you're trying to achieve something, like it gets a little gnarly in the middle. Every movie's that way, right? It's like, it's going great, they're moving along, the big conflict, and then they resolve it at the end. So this is sort of that kind of path. So the five is the halfway point. It shows um, instability, change, hardship. So either it's gonna be like, sometimes people get confused between the energy of the five of pentacles and the five of cups, so I can mention that. Because both indicate the challenge being a sense of loss or grief, right? To me, usually the five of pentacles indicates more of a physical loss. Like you lose a job, you lose your house, um, maybe you have like a health issue, and that's sort of the sense of loss and grieving that you're processing. Where the five of cups, because cups are the suit of what? Emotions would be like an emotional loss, right? Where you're really having to dive into that area of your heart. But both can indicate a grief of, of a, lo a lost loved one, but usually it's more in the five of cups area, but it could also be the five of pentacles because that would indicate maybe you're really missing the physical presence of that person. It's like very evident. Like if you lived in a home with them and like you have a lot of reminders, for instance. So the fives will eat you alive, but it's okay, because it's a turning point. <laughs> All right, and here we go to the energy of the sixes. So sixes are a transition point. You're moving forward. Even if you got stuck in this sort of halfway point and this change is really uncomfortable, this is where you start to overcome these obstacles and rise up. So even with like the swords, like the five of swords, Sorry, the Six of Swords feels like you're one step away from that conflict. Like you can still see it in that mirror, rear view mirror as you're like driving away. Like have you seen the El Camino? The El Camino um, trailer for the Breaking Bad movie and he's like running away from that camp that exploded and he's like, you can still see it but he's like happy because he's getting the fuck out of there. That could be sort of the energy of the Six of Swords. Um, but also, like the moving forward, like the loss of the pentacles becomes a little bit more prosperity and fruitful. Um, you know, there's still like this simple, sweet kind of energy of the five of, I'm sorry, the six of cups, like moving out of the grief and it changes more into nostalgia or a sense of longing. And there might be some happiness to that, right? So instead of being like trapped in like the, the hard feelings of the grief, you've kind of transitioned into like, okay, when I remember this person, it makes me remember the happy things too, right? So there's that, that sort of transition. Um, my keyword for the six of wands is victory, because I'm a kundalini yogi, and we use that term victory a lot. It's like rising from those obstacles and getting that victorious, elevated position. Yeah? Questions? Yes. Uh, six of cups. She asked about nostalgia, the six of cups. Yes. Six of Pentacles is the one that was like a, prof a little bit of prosperity, profitability, that kind of. I'm not probably going to touch on every single card because uh, we're, we're running, you know, so it's ambitious. But once you get the theme of the numbers and the story of the numbers and the suits, you'll be able to pull it, put it together very quickly. So then we got the seven. Can you tell when I made this PowerPoint, I was really into transitions? <laughs> They're each different. It's like, boom. 
Okay, so seven. So you're starting to transition out of the sixes into the seven is really like an intersection point where you need to like reflect and maybe be in solitude and evaluate what's been going on. Um, a lot of times, this isn't a traditional meaning for the seven of pentacles, but it has turned into my waiting card, especially when I'm reading for someone. They're like, do I take path A or B? And I pull the seven of pentacles. It's not a no. It's just like a not right now. You still need to reevaluate, reflect a little bit more, um, and really sense into that being the proper course of action. You also have to evaluate your motives and why you're doing things. So you're almost at that finish line. You're getting closer to completion, but it could be sort of the sense of like, is this what I wanted to do? Is this really where I want to go? It's not too late to kind of take a few steps back and rework things to get a different outcome. This is the time where maybe you'd be getting those, uh, those clarities or those, you know, those insights. Oh, on the sheet, the wild unknown, um, some, uh, when I was teaching this class, most of my students wound up using this deck so is adding the extra meaning for that. I would just look out for the seven of swords. It's a real sneaky card. So usually it's like you have this like lack of trust. Like when you're evaluating things, it's like I have this feeling someone's being shady. Like I can't quite trust or I can't quite trust myself. And I love this card though because it helps you, especially if you're reading for yourself, you gotta think, okay, is this like my intuition going ding, 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 something shady's going on, or is it like a pattern of mistrust that is more of a theme or a current? And these are minor arcana, so these will shift and move around a lot. Like these energies don't have to stick around for a while. It could be so simple as once you pull that card and it gets to your awareness, the energy then might move. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's, she was asking, is it the projection of the mistrust? Yes, that's what I'm saying. The evaluation is like, okay, let me check in. Is this really an untrustworthy person or situation? Or is this a pattern of distrust? Yeah, that I'm, that I'm projecting exactly what you said. Yes. You just, I think you said it a better way, so thank you. Yes. She's asking if I'm that clear with my question. So, um, like, for example, if this card would come up, like the Seven of Swords, I might ask a follow-up of, like, okay, is this, um, is this an aspect of self, right? Is this my thing? And I would pull a card. Or is there something else going on? What might that be? And I pull a card and get a sense. Like, that's how I kind of build the intuitive readings. Any question that comes to my mind in a reading that I don't have the, in the innate, like, yes, no, like, this feels like this thing, I will pull other cards to build it out. And she asked if I verbalize it or keep it internal. So if you are the type of person that wants to be a professional tarot reader, 100% of the time you're gonna feel like a crazy person, but I would talk it out out loud because the biggest challenge is being able to articulate the cards to another person. And if you just read and keep it in your mind, 
it, you're not giving yourself the practice of like vocalizing and explaining and maybe over explaining because not over, but you might explain it to another person more than when I'm pulling cards for myself and I know what they mean. It's like boom, boom, boom. But when I have to sort of tell the story, so I would give yourself a lot of practice in the storytelling if you're going to be a reader. Now, if you're just using this as a tool for yourself, that's cool. Say it in your mind, journal about it. But if you want to read for people in person, talk to yourself and explain it out loud. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Okay, we got the eights. So eights are a sense of movement, but the movement isn't always organic. Sometimes it's forced movement. Like you're forced to change. You're forced to even either reevaluate or to do the work to get the movement going. So the eight of, of wands is usually like that sudden movement that the universe, it's like the card of spirit. Spirit might psh, drop something down in your lap or move, or actually sometimes it means a physical relocation, which is interesting because it's not really a pentacles card, but it's that sudden like, guided like boom like here's here oh here gonna do this here's the um like here's the movement conversely something like the eight of cups is is my i call it my humpty dumpty card it's like all the pieces have fallen like humpty dumpty and you can't put it together so you have to move on the eight of cups i think is one of the most dangerous cards in the tarot because people will live in this level of stagnancy for a long time it's that emotional stuckness where it's like, not so bad that I'm being like pushed out the door, but it's bad enough where you're not fulfilled and you're not feeling great. And people, for whatever reason, I've seen people get really stuck in that eight of cups. So I take that card very seriously when I pull it for myself to do that self-psychology of like, where am I stuck and not willing to move on? Um, quickly, the eight of swords. This is like a trigger word for people sometimes, but it, it does sort of feel like a victimization kind of card where you feel like you're all pent up and being held hostage, but really we know it's the suit of the mind, so you're really just trapping yourself. And so it's like, okay, let's get out of that mentality that these things are happening to me and let's empower myself to choose a different thought or to, or to make a different decision. Um, and then eight of... Uh, Eight of Pentacles is like that hard work and that study and that apprenticeship to move forward. Sometimes you can't just move forward, let's say, in your career. You need to get further training or more practice, get your hands dirty. That's, like, that's how you cross the finish line and get to that next echelon. Okay, nines. Nines is almost completion. You're almost there. There's this level of fulfillment and attainment and wisdom. Like you can see the finish line, but it's not quite there. Um, the more positive aspects are that we love to get. I love the Nine of Cups. It's one of my favorite cards. It's called the Wish card. So this, if you think about the energy of the Nines, fulfillment, being in the emotional space, you are emotionally fulfilled. It feels like everything is going right and your wishes are coming true. Um, same thing with the nine of pentacles. It feels like you've been able to build like a nest egg. There's a level of comfort in, in your physical space, your physical reality, maybe your job, you're feeling great. There's still one more level that's available to you, but it's a good place to be. When we hit the nine of wands, it's like that almost completion, but sometimes it feels like an overwhelm, like not the overwhelm, that's really the 10 of wands, but like you're, it's, you're having to effort to see it through to the end. Right? It's like you're almost there. It's like I have never run a marathon, but I would imagine like the last few miles feel like, okay, I've come, you know, 26 or 24 miles. I just need to do like the next two point whatever. Um, 
And you've got to keep moving forward, but it might not feel easy. Um, and then we've got this Nine of Swords, which is always so nice. Um, this is really a card that indicates anxiety. So it's like the good, the best news about this card is like you're almost back to the ones again. But it's really like you've reached almost your maximum potential for mental anguish. And so sometimes the best way, because you're already at nine, you don't want to backtrack. You want to fully go into unraveling that so that you can finally get to the one again where you're like fresh mind, clear thoughts, feeling good. All right. I promised you guys 40 cards in 60 minutes and we're almost there. We got the 10. So the 10 is completion. It's the end of a cycle. It's the last step before the beginning again, like I was mentioning, like the 10, then it goes back to one and we keep on living these cycles. Um, it's a necessary energy. It's the energy, uh, I'm sorry, necessary ending. It's the energy of one, so that same base level, but the most amplified as possible. That's why I feel like this 10 of wands is a card of overwhelm because sometimes it can be like too much of a good thing, right? And so you're overwhelmed with like, like you've manifested, let's say, all of your passions, but you did it all at once. And that could feel really overwhelming. So when I see the 10 of wands, it's usually the, the note for the client is you need to delegate or reprioritize because you've got a lot of good stuff going on. How can you get support so that you can see this through as opposed to having all this stuff take you out? Um, the 10 of swords is kind of gnarly. Um, it's called the Ruin card. It's sort of like a minor death card. But this is such a good sign because it's like you've gone through all the drama, the melodrama, the stories we tell ourselves, the cyclical, obsessive neuroses, and like you've run yourself out. Like there's no more energy for it, and you're just kaput. And then hopefully you get to go to bed in the next morning. Ace of Swords, clarity. Not always, but um, that's sort of like you need to, the self-psychology around that one is to sort of unravel these neurotic stories that keep you like this, like this, that keep you up at night, that actually ruin your happiness or your sense of contentment. Um, and then lastly, we'll real quick do Ten of Pentacles. It's like money, abundance, physical, you know, your physical manifestations at the highest level. And then I love the Ten of Cups because it's that emotional fulfillment and, and the emotional connections and reciprocity where you're feeling so loved. It's a good card of community, of networking, that kind of, that kind of feeling. Um, so that's in a breeze, these 40 cards. And I know I went really fast. However, now that you know just the numbers and the suits, if you just practice from the sheet first, maybe don't even pull cards, just start quizzing yourself. What does pentacles mean? What does swords mean? What does one mean, five mean, 10 mean? What I would also recommend is for you to use your tarot cards as flashcards. So if you're really trying to get these down and you get these keywords down, you can use them and you can separate the pile. It's like, I don't know, when I was in college, I would make these flashcards, and if I knew the answers, I put them in one pile. If I still needed to practice, I kept them in a separate pile. Um, I just really, really recommend that you guys learn at least the keywords or get in the ballpark with these cards because it'll give you so much confidence to read. And you really don't need to know 50 different meanings for the 10 of cups. You can know a few words and get a very, very good reading and have space for your intuition to come through. 
I'm going to see. Okay, I have five minutes left. I can't guide you through this meditation in five minutes, but I want to just address like one or two more things, and then if we have a second for questions or I'll be um, after. So usually I guide people through a meditation, and maybe what I can do is record it and add it to the end of the podcast. I think I'll do that. So check out the podcast next Sunday. I'll record the meditation, and then you guys can use it over and over again for your own practice, and there won't be the background noise. But what is most important when you start reading cards, especially for yourself, it is actually harder to read for yourself because you're so invested. Um, I created this meditation where you basically envision yourself in the middle of an empty room, and you go as far back as you can, and you take all of your memories, and you let the walls of the room absorb them. So you're like releasing. Now you can access them at a later time. It's not like you're deleting your hard drive or whatever, but just for this moment. And then you get to the present moment and then you reach as far into the future as you can. All of your hopes, all of your dreams, even your fears for the future. And you release them until the present moment. And then you find yourself in this empty room, not reaching for the future, not being sort of tainted by the past or those expectations, just in the present moment. And if you can get a taste of what that feels like, and you can pull your cards from that place, you will get very accurate readings, and you will be in this neutral zone. And the neutral space is what's best for everything, not just for tarot reading, right? That like untriggered, just um, unattached, not neutral space. Um, yeah. So what I'm going to do is um, it'll probably be at the end of this recording. So we'll have the podcast and then um, right about now for the listeners, you stay tuned and then we'll go into the, the meditation. So you can just fast forward. Do we have any questions that will take three minutes or less? Yes. Yeah. She asked, how do you start reading for people if that's what you want to do? Step one, get very, very familiar with the meanings of the cards. I don't love it when professional readers have a book. Um, that's just me, like that they're like reading out of. I feel like it kind of sometimes like it stops the flow. Yes, exactly. Two, I would um, do what I said, read for yourself out loud. Three, I would say do as many readings for friends, family, anyone. Read, read, read all of the time. Read until people are sick of you asking. And then you have to wait. So read, then wait like three months. Because what happened for me is like it sometimes takes three months for you to hear back from the people. Oh my gosh, that was so accurate. Oh my goodness, that helped me so much. Because it takes a while for this stuff to unfold. And that validation will help you feel like you've got your, you know your shit enough to continue to do it. And then it will it'll give you sort of like, you, everyone needs validation. And that's what helped me, because I was sort of like, there weren't a lot of tarot readers on the Atlanta scene when I started doing this stuff. But what happened for me was like the feedback and the help I was giving people far outweighed my insecurities, what, what haters would say. Like I, I was making a difference. And so you've got to like learn, 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 read, read, read. And then I do think you need to wait. And don't be afraid when you're reading for people to get to ask for feedback like have a questionnaire for like the immediate feedback and then send another one in three months how is this unfolded i would also recommend allowing people to record your readings so that they can actually because a lot of times people will forget what you said or 
worse. They misremember what you said, and they're like, you said it. I'm like, mm, I don't remember. That's not how I took it, <laughs> you know? So um, because then people can listen back, and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember she said this or that, and, and this is how it unfolded, or this is how it really helped me. So those would be my practice, man. And when you think you're ready, practice more. And then lastly, I have a lot of feelings about this. You could be the most psychic person, intuitive person in the world, but you have to learn and train yourself how to hold space for another person, how to, how to relay the information in a way that's uplifting, that cares for them, that doesn't leave. There's so many readers who just scare the shit out of people, and then it's more harmful than helpful. So it's your job to make sure people leave uplifted with solutions. There are ways to deliver bad news that people don't leave feeling damned basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, yeah, you got to understand when you're reading for people, they put you in their psyche as an authority figure or a knower or a seer. That is a very dangerous place to live in. You, I always try to put it back on the person, put myself wherever they want to place me. It's like, nope, just me and you having a conversation. Here's what I have to offer. You can take what resonates. Do not substitute what I say for what you know to be true ever and kind of like lay that groundwork. But we're out of time now. I'm over one minute. Thank you. We're going to start this meditation with alpha breathing. This is a specific kind of breath that stimulates your alpha brain waves. With your head remaining still and level, you're going to open your eyes and you're gonna inhale and look up with your eyes. And as you exhale, look down with your eyes only. Inhale, look up with your eyes. Exhale, look down with your eyes. Inhale, look up. Exhale, look down. Continue this cycle of breath until your eyes naturally close. Inhale, looking up. Exhale, looking down. Again and again. If your eyes are heavy, allow them to close and sit for a moment. If you're still doing the cycles of breath, let's do two more rounds and then close your eyes. Inhale, look up. Exhale, look down. Inhale, look up. Exhale, look down and close your eyes. Envision yourself in the center of a small room. Imagine the ceilings, the floors, the walls. They're all padded. Maybe they're styrofoam walls that can absorb sound. Maybe you envision them like cushions or pillows or cotton. Whatever vision comes to mind is perfectly fine. You're just in the center of this room. Next, 
Search for your earliest memory. Take your mind as far back as you can go and recall that memory. Then release it and allow it to be absorbed into the walls. Then reach for another memory. Call it to mind, release it into the walls. And then another memory from way back from your childhood. Recall it, hold on to it for a moment, and then release it into the walls. Keep following this retrieval of memories in a chronological order, calling them up and releasing them. You're just releasing these memories for this period of time. You can always retrieve them later, but for now, call the memory up and then release it. Maybe now there's a memory from kindergarten. Call it up, release it into the wall. Can you recall middle school? Call up these memories and then release them into the wall. They might come in pairs or by themselves or in groups of memories. However it shows up is quite all right. Just call them up and release them into the walls, each memory getting closer to today. Think about something from high school or college. Call up the memory and release. Maybe it's your first job. Maybe it's the first time you met your partner. Allow these memories to come up and then release them into the wall. Now call up a memory from just a couple of years ago. Call it up and release it maybe a couple of months ago. Call that memory up and all the memories in between. Feel them come up and gently be released to be recalled again at a later time. What about last week? Call up a memory from last week, release it. How about yesterday? Call it up, gently release it. How about today? What was it like when you woke up? What was your routine? Call it up, release it. Release every step you took between then and the sound of my voice in this moment. One last time, we're going to call up all the memories from the beginning of time until now. We're going to gently call them up and have them all be absorbed. Next, reach for your furthest dream hope, fear, reach as far into the future as you can imagine. We're going to call up all of those one at a time. Call up your hopes. Release them into the wall. Goals. Call them up. 
release them into the walls, fear the future, we're gonna call it up, you're gonna release it into the walls. All of these future ideas and hopes and plans, they can still be retrieved at a later time, but for right now, we're gonna call them all up, one at a time or in groups, and you're gonna release them into these walls. Call up your plans for tomorrow. When your alarm might go off or what things you have to do, we're gonna call up all of those plans. We're gonna release them into the wall, releasing even your plans for later today, calling them up, releasing them into the wall, everything up until this present moment of my voice all future has been called up and released. Right now, you're in a void. Right now, this is the sensation of the present moment. You don't know what I'm going to say next. You don't know what's going to happen next. You are also equally as free from the past and any ways that might project upon the future. Take a deep breath, feeling in your body what it's like to be in the present moment. Feel the breath entering your body. There's nothing left to do but to sit here, to lie here, to be here, right now, in this present moment. When you really get a clear sense of what the present moment feels like to you, take your pointer finger and tap your forehead where your third eye would be three times. Tap, tap, tap. This is grounding the sense of the present moment into your physical body. Now this is the space in which you should be pulling your tarot cards. This is that pleasant, neutral space that's not projecting the past onto these cards, that's not holding on to an expected outcome of the future. This neutral space in the present moment is the optimal place in which to practice tarot. Whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes and you can pull your cards. Anytime you need to visit this place, just remember this room that you've built. You can tap into this feeling right now or you can listen to this recording again prompting yourself and guiding yourself into the present moment. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.